Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to Leviticus chapter 2. This chapter contains a variety of instructions related to grain or cereal offerings. If you have an old King James version of the Bible, it will refer to these as meat offerings, which is a bit confusing since there is no meat in any of these offerings. In the old days, though, the word meat in English just meant food. These are intentionally bloodless sacrifices. Nothing dies in these sacrifices, and that seems to be intentional. The cereal offering typically followed the burnt offering, which we talked about in chapter 1, and the order there is significant. The New International Commentary on the Old Testament puts it this way. The cereal offering then was a gift by the worshiper to God. It normally followed the burnt offering, God having granted forgiveness of sins through the burnt offering. The worshiper responded by giving to God some of the produce of his hands in cereal offering. It expressed not only thankfulness, but obedience and a willingness to keep the law. Closed quote. So the order here mimics, or better foreshadows, the gospel order that we observe in many of the epistles in the New Testament. In Romans, for example, the Apostle Paul spends many chapters talking to people about how they may be reconciled to God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That, of course, is the ultimate answer to the question, how may we be accepted by a holy God? And then having explained that, Paul says in Romans 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, closed quote. And that is precisely the movement that we're seeing here. Chapter 1 was about how we may be accepted before God. Chapter 2 is about how we should respond to that gracious acceptance. If God forgives our sins, if God provides a substitute, if God shows us unwarranted mercy and favor, what should we do? We should offer ourselves upon the altar. We should live our lives as a sacrifice unto the Lord. That is the very idea being symbolized in this food offering. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it. And bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. And he shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense, and the priest shall burn this as its memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings." Once again, we notice that these acts of worship were highly interactive in nature. The worshiper himself had quite a bit to do. According to verse 1, he shall pour oil on the mixture of grains. He shall put frankincense on it, and only then shall he bring it to the priest. So 
the worshiper had some work to do. He had to select the grains and prepare them in the proper way. Now, as to the oil and the frankincense that are added, the meaning of these things is not explained, but Andrew Bonnar suggests that the oil denoted setting apart and the frankincense denoted the acceptableness of the offering, and that may be so. This precious and fragrant offering then would be given by the worshiper to the priest who would then take a portion of it and burn it on the altar. Now, let's just pause here for a moment and consider what a total sensory experience Old Testament worship must have been. Remember, these offerings were generally given together. In fact, as we read uh, later in our Bibles, we discovered that there were usually three offerings given together, the burnt offering of meat, the cereal offering of grain, and the wine offering. Uh, go and read 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 24, or 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 3. In both of those passages, people are described as being on their way to worship, and they have certain things with them. In both cases, they're going to worship with a goat or a bull, a basket of flour in Hannah's case, and a loaf of bread in the case of the three poor men met by Saul. And then lastly, each of them is carrying a skin of wine. So the process would have been that first you would have offered up the bull or the goat, or if you were very poor, you would have offered up the bird, and that would have been burnt upon the altar. That would have produced a certain smell and a thick smoke. You would have made that offering for your sin. You knew you were a sinner. You knew that God was holy. You remembered that the wages of sin is death, and you rejoiced in this allowance of a substitute. Having then experienced God's mercy, you offered up a second offering, a cereal offering, as an expression of thanksgiving and consecration. That, too, would have resulted in a certain smell. Remember, your grains were, of course, mixed with oil and frankincense, so the smell of meat would now co-mingle with this new smell. And then, lastly, you would have poured out the skin of wine. Wine in the Old Testament was a symbol of joy and gladness. So the wine indicated that you were in glad, joyful, wholehearted agreement with everything being done by the priest. It was a way of saying, I do not give these things begrudgingly. I give them gladly. As the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And that's what the wine symbolized. And as you poured it out, that would have, of course, added yet another smell. So this was a total sensory experience. It was no dead ritual, to be sure. In fact, almost all scholars and historians understand that certain prayers and readings would have accompanied each separate act as an expression of understanding and faith. Now, these aren't listed here because Leviticus is basically a manual for the priesthood, but they do appear later in Scripture and later in Israelite history. R.K. Harrison, for example, says here, In a later age, Psalms 38 and 70 were connected in some way with the memorial offering. And it is quite probable that in the days of the temple, one or other of these compositions was recited by the worshiper when a memorial sacrifice was being offered. Closed quote. So again, highly interactive, filled with faith, and surrounded by sights and smells. That was the experience of the Old Testament worshiper. Now, before we leave this first paragraph, we should also note that the cereal offering or grain offering was one of the main ways that the priesthood was supported in Israel. 
As I mentioned, the priest took a portion of the cereal offering and burnt it on the altar. But the remainder of that offering became the possession of the priests. The Apostle Paul makes a New Testament application of this principle in 1 Corinthians 9, 13-14. He says, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Closed quote. So when you give to the church, you should expect that a significant portion of what you give as an offering of worship will in fact go to the support of those who preach and teach the gospel. That is a fundamental principle woven into our covenant worship right here in the book of Leviticus. We'll continue reading now at verse 4. When you bring a grain offering baked in the oven as an offering, it shall be unleavened loaves of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers smeared with oil. And if your offering is a grain offering baked on a griddle, it shall be of fine flour, unleavened, mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. And if your offering is a grain offering cooked in a pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. And you shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. And the priest shall take from the grain offering its memorial portion and burn this on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. So just as we saw three options for the burnt offering in chapter 1, depending on your economic status, so here we have three options for the cereal offering. In verses 1 to 3, we have the offering of fine flour. According to 1 Samuel 1 verse 24, the amount given was an ephah, which was about 23 liters or 6 gallons. So that's a huge amount. You had to be a person of substance to make an offering of that sort. So here in verses 4 to 5, we have some other options, options that would have been within the reach of most poorer people. In verse 4, we read about an offering baked in an oven. Now, of course, not everyone had an oven, which is why in verse 5, we have instructions about an offering baked on a griddle. Thus, as the Tyndale Old Testament commentary points out, even the poorest of persons could offer a homemade flat cake or a wafer of bread as a sacrifice to God, closed quote. God doesn't want anyone to be left out, and God doesn't need the grains or the breads or the cakes that are being offered. It is about the gesture, and of course, it's about the faith behind the gesture. We see the same thing in the story of the widow's mite. Her offering was of the poorest kind. She gave two copper coins, two pennies, we would say today. And yet Jesus said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on, closed quote. So again, it is about the gesture, and God wants the gesture to be in reach of every man and every woman. We pick up the narrative at verse 11. No grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey as a food offering to the Lord. 
As an offering of first fruits, you may bring them to the Lord, but they shall not be offered on the altar for a pleasing aroma. Now, once again, we don't know as much here as we would like to know. The text doesn't say explicitly why no leaven or no honey could be used in these offerings. As verse 12 indicates, they could be used with the first fruit offering, so there was nothing inherently wrong with these things. It's just that they didn't belong here with the cereal offering. Many scholars suggest that the reason was that leaven and honey were associated with corruption and fermentation, which were not fitting symbols for an offering that symbolized thanksgiving and consecration. And that may be it. Verse 13, You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. Now, here we are on surer ground. Salt was the symbol of the covenant. It is called, in verse 13, the salt of the covenant. So when it was offered with the sacrifices, as it was with all sacrifices, it was a way of saying, this offering is being given in a covenantal context. I am giving it because I am bound by covenant to my Lord. Only in that context was the offering acceptable. Today, we would say that only worship and service offered in faith is pleasing to the Lord. If you were just singing the songs or writing a check as an expression of your own piety, that is not pleasing to the Lord. Only what is done in faith counts as real worship. Now, the New Testament epistle to the Hebrews is often referred to as an inspired commentary on Leviticus, and it appears to touch on this theme in chapter 11. Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. So if you remember, Abel offered from the flock. He offered a blood sacrifice. Apparently, according to the author of Hebrews, as an expression of faith. He apparently believed that sin separated him from God and that only by means of a substitute could he be accepted. And God had regard for that. Cain, though, skipped forward to the food offering. He offered fruits and grains, but no blood. And that didn't please the Lord. Apparently, that was considered worship without faith. And in verse 6, Hebrews 11 goes on to say, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Andrew Bonner says insightfully here, Acts of charity substituted for Christ's work as a means of pacifying the conscience, make up precisely this sin of Cain, closed quote. So if you try to bypass the means of atonement appointed by God and to go straight into acts of worship, consecration, and gratitude, you're committing the sin of Cain. You are underestimating the holiness of God and the sinfulness of sin, and as a result, nothing you do in that state of ignorance, arrogance, and rebellion will be pleasing to the Lord. That's what's being said here. Worship inside the covenant, worship that comes from faith, worship that is laid on top of the burnt offering, that is what is pleasing to the Lord, and that alone. Verse 14, if you offer a grain offering of first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits fresh ears roasted with fire, crushed new grain. And you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering. And the priest shall burn as its memorial portion 
some of the crushed grain and some of the oil with all of its frankincense. It is a food offering to the Lord. In this last paragraph, we have some instructions related to a seasonal food offering. So this is a subcategory of cereal offering. If you want to bring a, a cereal offering in the time of first fruits because the Lord has been blessing your labors, then do so by all means. Bring some roasted corn, put some oil and frankincense on it, and it will be received as a food offering. And the same process will apply. Here we are reminded that our worship and our offerings should be regular and also occasional in nature. Thanks be to God. Thank you, friends, for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find those at intotheword.ca. You can also connect with Pastor Paul and other Bible readers on the Into the Word Facebook page. Just type Into the Word into the search bar. If you'd like to contribute to this listener-supported program, go to the website and click the Give bar in the top right corner. Once again, that's intotheword.ca. We hope to see you again real soon right here for another episode of Into the Word. Thank you.